0: Hi, welcome to the Mother's Guide Through Autism podcast. This podcast is to inspire, support, and build community for mothers raising children with autism. I'm Bridget Shipman, the host and creator of the Mother's Guide Through Autism. This podcast has been inspired by my son, Joseph, who has been living with autism for the past 27 years. Today's episode on the Mother's Guide Through Autism is a continued discussion of stress management. So in the previous episode, I addressed Mother Guides and I gave some coaching tools to build a toolbox for your stress management. And as you know, if you've been following Joseph and I, I offer the perspective and healing and inspirational tips for Mother Guides, while Joseph gives a perspective of living with autism. So we are doing this work together, and we are hoping that anyone who's listening, that there's something that you can gain from each of these episodes of our podcast to help you move forward, and we are here to support and hopefully guide all of you into living a more joyful, lighter life. So Joseph Shipman, today, he's going to be giving us his perspective Um, what it's like dealing with stress and managing it uh, from, from living a life with autism. So there are many stressful situations that have come up in his life, and he has done such a great job, as I have observed him, growing into his 27th year, and as we get older, we have more responsibilities, and this can also create greater stress for anyone, whether you're living with autism or not. So I know when Joseph was born, one of the things we noticed, his dad and I, literally on day three of Joseph's life, was how easily he got overstimulated. So this is a word that his dad and I used um, of course, this, this was way back in the early 90s when Joseph was born. And we had some friends who had a colicky baby that was basically the same age as Joseph. And what they shared with us was that for his colic and for his, his constant crying, they figured out that a vacuum cleaner which is a source of white noise, calm their son down. So they made a cassette recording. Yes, you can tell what the time frame is, early 90s. We did a cassette recording of a vacuum cleaner. And this is what we would play um, to help Joseph calm down. And it worked, it was great. It was really the only thing that could soothe him Um, rocking him, walking him around, driving him around, all those things helped, but nothing like this white noise. So the difference was in our two sons was that when he finished his colicky phase, like most babies do at around um, six weeks of age or so, Joseph's continued. And what we noticed is that Although, as he got a little older, I, I'm thinking we did this vacuum thing for the first three, four months of his life. And we noticed that things would trigger what we called his overstimula- overstimulation. And we really had no idea that our son was actually on the spectrum at this time. We just thought we had a highly sensitive child Um, that really needed to be on a pretty strict schedule. So the way we we helped Joseph was we tried to live around his schedule because what we noticed was, you know, other kids during the holidays or when they would get off their schedules, yes, they get cranky, but Joseph's was inconsolable. And it would take us the whole evening to get him to get back to, to his routine, back to sleeping, and so not only was it stressful for him, but it was also stressful for us. So what we called overstimulation, which was in fact, he had triggers that were very stressful for him. And being in the autistic spectrum, um, he would struggle with those sensory issues, right? So there were a lot of triggers out there that we didn't know about. So the majority of Joseph's young life was about noticing these triggers and what was overstimulating and the fears that came with that and how to manage them. But we were coping with them and we were trying to guide Joseph the best that we could, not knowing what all was causing it, right? And the more we learn, the more we could help him cope. But he was really great as he got older in coping with this stress management or overstimulation himself. And that's what we're going to share today. We would like to share some of the techniques and tools that Joseph learned and also the ones that he found for himself And really what he uses today, too, because what we talked about was this journey into his 27th year and, you know, as he grows and changes, so do his tools. So we'll go back to childhood and he'll talk to us um, about that and then he'll take us back into present and some of the tools and coping skills that he's learned uh, today, so welcome back, Joseph, to Mother's Guide Through Autism.
1: Good to be back once again.
0: Yeah. So you um, you heard the introduction, and mm-hmm. we're going to be talking about some of your coping skills and what you want to share with us, and what you can remember. So, can you remember feeling stress? or what your dad and I would call getting overstimulated when you were younger. I'm not sure how far back you can remember that.
1: I mean, I can remember back pretty far. Usually it had to do with breaks in routine. Because, I mean, with the Winnie the Pooh thing, which we talked about in an earlier episode, the big thing that I think set off the panic attack with that was not only the association with you know, in my head, but also that I wasn't expecting that at all. It was not part of anything I was told. It's just like, okay, now we're just going to the library and now we're just going to be seeing this thing, you know, and when you get super stressed out and you're young like that, you get that fight or flight response, they call it. So, yeah, I just ran out screaming Mm -hmm. over the possibility of being terrified like that again. So
0: so it was the unknowingness. It was the surprises or the breaks in your routine that you think were your main triggers.
1: Oh, yeah. I think that was at least the big common, the common factor, if you want to call it that.
0: Yeah. So that was, uh, and I remember that, obviously, because I was in the classroom with your teacher and the other parents, and I knew instantly who that was. And I mm-hmm. thought, oh, surely they didn't put in Winnie the Pooh. As we talked about in a previous episode, because um, we had we had said, please, you know, be mindful that for whatever reason, Winnie the Pooh triggers Joseph and he will get upset. Yeah. Uh, so that was age five. That was starting your kindergarten year. Do you remember other instances or other triggers? And then mostly I'd like to know. I remember that. And I remember... Um, bringing you into the classroom with your dad and I to calm you down. So what helped calm you down? Let's stay in that time frame. What was it that made you feel safe and, and back on track?
1: Well, I guess like is implied with, you know, the common thread of stress being that break from routine or unexpected things happening. It would just be that kind of general sense of familiarity Like, one thing that would be, I guess, a stimming for me, especially when I was younger and at home and stuff, is I would watch those tapes constantly. (laughs) You know, especially since there was a predictable order to them, especially after you watch them over and over and over again. It's that kind of routine and the familiarity, right? Like, I know these people. I know the surrounding. You know, we're not just going to do this thing now or participating in X activity now with no foreknowledge. It's just, I kind of know this more.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So as you moved through school, um, as you well know, there were some unpredictable things that would trigger you and would stress you out. How did you handle that? Do you remember that? What is your insight for those times through school?
1: I don't know if I had any special technique, especially back then other than really just dealing with it and just being really tense the whole time, especially during stuff like fire drills. Yeah. You know, especially because back then it was, I I perceived those as a much, much louder sound than I would now. Because, I mean, they're pretty pretty high-pitched, really. uh, They dig in your ear, that sound. But I suppose that's the purpose, right, is to get people's attention, but... I was sensitive, as you said, anyway, so
0: so what I'm hearing is the more you could stay in a routine, yeah, the less stress that caused you.
1: It would certainly help, you know, um, it at least gave me a template as to what stuff I could potentially look forward to and then prepare myself for, mm-hmm you know, like I could expect the stress of football practice or people yelling and stuff in seventh grade, because I knew that that was going to be a thing that happened on, you know, X, Y, Z days and would go on for X hours and et cetera, et cetera. So.
0: Wow. That sounds like pure torture. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Was that very difficult then for you?
1: I'm pretty sure that It was just kind of a normal thing of it being really, really difficult at first, you know, before I was given tools and it just kind of got progressively easier over time. You know, it's not like I had some mantra or technique or something that would help me in every single instance.
0: Mm -hmm. No, I understand that. It's just that I know that um, those triggers were there Mm -hmm. and me witnessing you growing uh For me, it seemed like all of a sudden you would just freak out and then we would talk through it. So I'm not really sure what uh, you were experiencing. Right. So if we could offer mother guides listening with their younger children, I guess what what we're advising then through both of our experiences is to really try to make sure that you have a pretty solid routine mm-hmm. for your child to, to offer um, less triggers and noticing when they are self-stimming and, and what helps and really finding a balance between um, the overstimulation and, and coping skills. I know that there's a lot of stuff out there now. I love the fact that they're practicing mindfulness and offering um, kids on the spectrum other releases and teaching them those coping tools. We were kind of, I guess, very novice, first of all, in a rural setting. yeah, School's not offering any of that help. And so it was is really you and me and, and your dad yeah. <laughs> and the family support and the research that we could find. But I do think you now being able to share some of your experiences and how you coped with it is so beneficial, Joseph. And it's, it's really helping a lot of moms out there um, deal with their, their children on the spectrum. So when you became older, like I said, I remember you getting upset. Um, and many times I could talk you through it But there were also times when you did not come to me as, you know, a lot of teens don't. Like you kind of just dealt with it, right? There was a lot of stuff that I'm sure I didn't know that you were dealing with. So go back. What were some of those triggers as a a teen? Because I know your high school schedule became hectic. Really, I remember junior high, things started really um, getting a little harder for you as far as having a different teacher each period, keeping up with your homework, just even those daily things. And then, you know, not to mention the social aspect of what it's like to be a teen with hormones.
1: Well, yeah, I think that a lot of the more difficult stuff for me had to do with breaks in routine, but stuff that was mostly my fault. Like, like you said, the uh, scheduling did get really hectic just because there's so much more to keep up with. You have your teachers to keep up with. And we also had uh, really what I think is a good system of block scheduling, but I had to keep up with a lot of variables in my head, right? So you know, which day is it? Is it, you know, this day or that day where we have these teachers and that teacher and what routine is it? And it made it kind of difficult to keep up with assignments, especially since I had this weird habit of not writing anything down for some reason, but, (laughs) and yeah, whenever I would forget something, you know, or have the intention of bringing something and I didn't bring it, that would stress me out, especially once it became more commonplace. It's like, Oh God, what is going to happen here? Am I going to get in trouble? Am I going to get closer to flunking out of this, et cetera, et cetera. Just kind of, Set off a little, I guess, spiral. But it did get easier to at least deal with that once I became a little less afraid to, you know, ask for help from teachers or something like that. So,
0: yeah. And then from your perspective, each teacher has their own personality, mm-hmm. has their own grading system. You know, there's very little that is... Um, you know this when you go from one teacher to the next there that there was really nothing that was similar other than the time period. The subject was different the curr- you know that what you study the curriculum, yeah, the classroom rules
1: yeah, it wasn't exactly all standard under a single authority, but strangely, I began to like that later in life too I mean. As you get more experience with dealing with stuff that fall outside routine or outside expectation, you get used to it, right? So that was a thing that helped, too, is just exposure, uh, ther- the exposure therapy of life, I guess you could call it.
0: Right. And we have talked about that in previous episodes, too, that really uh, me explaining things to you was helpful, you know, but really you have to experience it, too. Mm-hmm. Right. So the way that I had talked about it in a a previous episode was I thought of your mind in my mind Mm -hmm. as a computer, really. And you would file each experience away and have a visual for it. And you could recall it instantly. And then you could make that correlation from, oh, I remember this experience when I went to a Broadway play mm-hmm. Beauty and the Beast, and was terrified, and realized that it was really cool once I got through that. Right. Or getting on the airplane, or you know, walking through the the county fair with um, loving animals, wanting to be around animals, but terrified of the <laughs> noises. Right. So once you got those experiences under your belt, you then would bring it out of your filing cabinet and. Mm-hmm. Correlate it and then, oh, OK, I got this. I I, I can do this. Would would you say that is as close? I think
1: that's it? pretty accurate. Yeah, I think it would also be a thing of. Like to use some computer terminology, I wasn't using as much RAM to process as much information like I didn't have to put as much conscious effort into filtering out noise. My brain would just do that automatically then. You know, so I guess I developed that as a skill or as a function, Mm -hmm. I suppose. Like, it's not something I had to sit there and think about and, like, develop or something. Like, some inventor going, okay, you know, now when this happens, your brain is going to do X, Y, Z. Mm -hmm. I I just do it.
0: So what was most helpful for you in your, um, you know, in your high school years, your teen years, Um, getting used to a classroom schedule, different teachers. Were there any tools that, that were helpful for that adjustment for you?
1: I don't know if there were any tools in particular that I could think of that were unique to that time period that I didn't use already. It was just kind of molded into that setting, I guess, if that makes any sense.
0: Can you give me an example?
1: I think part of it had to do with the with my evolution of interest, for example, I might use whatever interest as a tool to kind of maybe relate a situation to another thing, you know, because I think a lot of it is about contextualizing it. Because that's the ultimate purpose of metaphor. That's why we use it is to help us understand things by relating it to something else. So I would just think of something I was into or interested in and See if there was anything I could pull out of the experience file or out of that sort of weird imagination file to help me kind of think about it from a different way. Because that's the point in life where you really have to figure out how you're going to figure stuff out, really. You have to develop your own system for that. So Mm -hmm. I think that's when that really started for me. Yeah. you know, Because you kind of have to. You can't bother everybody all the time for certain advice or to give you something to help cope like you used to. Cause that's why, you know, you're given stuff to cope uh, with or uh, (laughs) you're given tools that help you cope before, you know, so that you don't have to keep asking for them once you get down to brass taxes.
0: Okay. You know, one of the things um, as an observer as a mother guide was when you were introduced to music and what I noticed for you was that seemed to really, whether this is true or not, so you can clarify this, but I noticed that music and poetry in the artistic world was a great release for you.
1: Yeah, definitely so. It still is.
0: (laughs) So can you talk about that? Can you describe what that does for you?
1: I think it can help make sense of things because of its pattern-centric nature. You know, that there is a certain routine and a certain expectation that is set out to be fulfilled in music with, you know, the placements of certain chords that help create certain feelings. So I guess there's a kind of uh, routine appreciation with music, but... It's also a thing that puts other things into into a context, and other than that, I just plain old enjoy it. I guess, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I know you compose music.
1: Yeah, and that that's been a more recent thing. You yeah. know, o- other than that, like with uh, elementary school, you know, it was just being taught basic things, and I think that can help as far as a routine. Or even a break from routine, because it wasn't a thing that I usually got to do, but it was still an enjoyable surprise mm-hmm. and not one that created a whole panic spiral
0: yeah, so you you enjoyed, yeah, that
1: and yeah. our music teachers that at least we used to have then really helped,
0: yes. So you have a gift for the arts. And what I also noticed, um, I had the privilege of being your teacher for one of your life skill courses, which was interesting.
1: Yeah. <laughs> interesting is definitely one word for it. We,
0: we learned a lot about each yeah. other in those roles. Um, so more on that later. But I, the, the moment that I had, not just as your mom, but as your teacher, was that your expressive language... Um, was really a tool for you mm-hmm. so you, your writing you could express yourself I mean I was so impressed with your writing in other words I thought oh my gosh once I read what um, we had these questions on what we called Fun Friday in the classroom and you were given a journal entry question and your writing on those journal entries I thought wow this kid has insight, and he absolutely knows what's going on. And this is his outlet of expression versus, you know, getting up and, and trying to explain it. Because at that time, you were a freshman in high school, and your expressive yeah. language was still limited. And we had a lot of different things going on in, that, in those teen years, right? But your writing, wow. I, for a moment... I I didn't worry about you because I understood in that moment that you actually are getting it. It's just how do you get it out of you?
1: Well, and the ironic part is that when it came to writing essays and stuff, that was actually kind of stuff I hated. So I don't know if I thought of it as a form of self-expression up until relatively recently compared to that. So.
0: hmm yeah. you know,
1: Because usually when it comes to handwriting, usually that's the thing that gets assigned to people as busy work or as like a thing you must do, that you must write something down. But when you look at it from a perspective of actually expressing yourself in a complete way, then, yeah, I came to appreciate writing a bit more.
0: Right. It was Especially the content.
1: A, well, yeah. And just as a method of communication, just... It it helped me make friends over social media pretty well. (laughs) Yeah. You know, that instead of uh, trying to think of something to say now, you can just kind of think it out and write it out.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. But that was my aha, because I I realized then that you were um, there was more to the story, Mm -hmm. in other words. Right. Yeah. And so that was a, a big moment for for me and I think also a tool for you. Mm -hmm. So um, that content and the way that you could express yourself and it was very clear to the point and right on. So that was one tool that I noticed for you along with the music, the expressive poetry. Mm -hmm. Um, those, Those were great coping skills that I noticed for you. Now that you are a young man in your 20s, experiencing stress an adult, right? We talked about that. Um, You've got a a job, you've got all these responsibilities now that you've acquired over time. Can you discuss how you manage stress now?
1: Like I think one of the more recent stressful experiences I had was I have a job in radio and one of my jobs is to oversee our uh, broadcasts of our high school basketball games. And One night, it was just technical problem after technical problem after technical problem. And the thing I basically had to realize was, you know, at least the thing I realized in a way before coming up to that was there's only so much you can do. So it's just dealing with the problem as best you can. And just knowing that you're not going to make everything exactly perfect right away, even though you want to. You know, because things were going off the air and barely being heard and people were calling. So, it was just kind of figuring out how to ride that out instead of wishing it would just all go away. Because, I mean, you're here. You're doing this. So, <laughs> yeah. what, what do you do? So, you do what's needed.
0: So, you talked your way through it. Yeah, in a way. Yeah. So, one thing that... um I have noticed too, is that you had a strong interest in religious studies yeah, and that you found meditation on your own. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a life coach, I bring the breath and uh, I often say just if you have no time for anything else in that moment, take three deep breaths. Has meditation or any mindfulness practices, Joseph, has that also been a tool for you?
1: Well, I've definitely experimented with um, meditation and that definitely had helped put some things into perspective. But usually the thing I make the most of is just a mindfulness practice. and. There's not like a step one, two, three, four and so on until finally you've reached mindfulness. Congratulations. Um, It's just kind of a general system for uh, it's a template for how to deal with stuff. You know, it's almost like a preset when and when you're on the mindfulness preset, you try your best to actually accept things as they are. And not just wish that the bad stuff would just end already. I mean, you do, but you don't spend all of your energy put into that feeling and into perpetuating that feeling in yourself. Almost as if we think that feeling that way is going to make it go away faster or something. And kind of makes me think back on when I would get so stressed and so overstimulated and think, how did I even end up this chill? It, it doesn't really make sense in the context and without the experiential knowledge that I've picked up just living this life. so
0: Yeah, so when you practice mindfulness, can you, to the best of your ability, not point by point, Mm -hmm. but to the best of your ability, um, explain to us what that does for you? Like, how does it give you the relief? How does it get you through whatever it is that you're dealing with?
1: I suppose it's a... It kind of prevents you, I guess, from going into denial in a sense, because I, I think what I found just going through my life experiences in my head and thinking about just strolling down memory lane, I guess, is. That when I would get panicky and overstimulated, you know, it's just you want the stuff to stop, but it doesn't always and you can either do one of two things. You can either recognize that it's gonna go away on its own time like everything does, or you can continue to panic about it as long as it's going on, you know, and then panic a little more after it's done. Like, what was that? (laughs) And when you actually really ground yourself right here, right now, and you really just accept or at least embrace what's happening, whether it's bad or not, it helps get it helps you get over the stuff you don't like a bit better because you're not trying to tense up and resist it. You know, try, it kind of like trying to swim upstream, you know, instead of trying to do that and wasting energy going nowhere, you learn how to flow with it. And then it ends up actually not having as hard of an impact on you.
0: Yeah, I can feel that. <laughs> oh, I love that metaphor of the river, mm-hmm. because so often, um, and I can speak for myself here too, I am just trying so hard to swim up that river, you know, giving mm-hmm. all my energy to something that just is not, mm-hmm. and so I have to remember that, remind myself, okay, take those three breaths, And just go with the natural flow of the river and all will be well.
1: And I remember the time I literally tried to swim upstream on a river and that didn't work out. So because I was kind of freaking out a little bit, too, like, oh, no, I want to get back up here. I got to go the other way. Right. And yeah, no, it literally doesn't work or metaphorically work.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I love how you applied that real-life experience (laughs) to that metaphor. That's awesome. If you haven't practiced mindfulness, where do you think a good beginning for that might be?
1: I think for most people, at least trying some meditation would help. Other than that, um, just trying to ground yourself in what's actually happening and not what you think is happening. Mm. And that a good place to start is to learn how to tell the difference between the two. You know, and when you're paranoid or overstimulated or something, you can't really tell the difference between the two. So you're trying to tell and then get rid of the bad one.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, that that's very insightful. I think that's going to help. A lot of people who are on the spectrum that might be dealing with anxiety mm-hmm. or like you said, like the, those panic attacks that you had when you were younger, just full of anxiety because of the unknown mm-hmm. or now it's going to happen and then we just get in our heads. Right. And then that just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And that, in fact, is not even our reality. Mm-hmm. It is just a belief, which I call crazy monkeys. Yeah. But you can call them whatever you want. But.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah,
0: you just dissolve the crazy monkeys and then you become present and you actually do see what is truth for self versus just believing all those crazy thoughts that just get us more and more and more and more into crazy monkey land, right?
1: Yeah, trying to scramble and control without even considering whether or not it can even be controlled in the first place. Mm Mm-hmm. And that crazy monkey thing is great because the Buddhists have a metaphor for how our minds work being the monkey mind where it just jumps around from thought to thought to thought to thought. So,
0: exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, it, it's being able to release and flow with the river. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. I love that metaphor again. What advice do you have for the mother guides listening? To our podcast for managing stress for the their younger children.
1: The only advice I can really ever think of to give for questions like that is just to know who your child is and where that stress is coming from. You know, easier said than done, but, you know, just don't be dismissive or overly presumptuous about where the stress is coming from or what you can do to stop it or curb it or something like that you know it's really just kind of the same advice for dealing with it uh, if you're going through a stressful time is to try and see things as they are and just kind of go from there how to deal with it
0: do you think introducing mindfulness to young children would be a benefit
1: I think so definitely okay okay Cause I've heard many anecdotal cases as well of, um, not just simply mindfulness, but even, uh, particularly famous techniques like TM or transcendental meditation, you know, that for those of you that might've heard of the Beatles and how they went to India and met the yogi and stuff, that's what they learned was TM. And there are many people on the spectrum that use that as a coping mechanism and that that's a part of their routine. Hmm,
0: that's great advice. Have mm-hmm. you tried that?
1: I haven't tried TM because I think with TM, you have to go through an official practitioner and get um, a personal mantra. Like they give you a thing to say Mm -hmm. over and over. It's a mantra. It's a focal point tool. And you have to get that from a recognized practitioner or teacher of it. And, you know, this is rural Arkansas. So obviously there are plenty of those people around.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, um, for me, this is, this is interesting because I didn't realize, um, that that is something that helps people on the spectrum and that what, what you actually have to go through to get that. So Mm -hmm. that'll be a conversation that, that you and I have, Yeah. because, um, if that is something that would interest you, uh, of course we'll, we'll, uh, Find the tools, find the resources, and perhaps that is something that you can can go through. And then let us know Mm -hmm. if, in fact, that is beneficial.
1: Well, and I think the thing that's important is that it can be beneficial. It's not just a straight, always net positive benefit for every single individual. Like, don't believe anybody that tells you that X technique will take care of every problem Mm -hmm. you know so
0: yes uh very true and that has been our experience right we've talked about this in previous episodes how you know there's so many therapies out there so many things to pick from and that each autistic person is an individual and they have their own personal strengths and weaknesses um but if it doesn't hurt you and you could benefit from it why not try it has mm-hmm. been our message right well yeah yeah sometimes not sometimes all the time finances could could play a royal role in that but also um time and how to manage all that because you, you we're talking about relieving stress, not creating stress, right? Yeah. <laughs> so finding that balance and going with the flow of the river again. But that that's an interesting um, technique to look into. And there may be some of you that are already practicing it. And so if you are, let us know what you got out of that. Let us know if that's helping you with stress, whether you're on the spectrum or not about that experience and also if there are any other techniques that have helped your your kids that Joseph and I haven't talked about because the whole premise of an intention of this podcast is to unite people together to help each other on this journey on the spectrum of autism so That is the purpose of this. Joseph and I do not know everything, that's for sure. But we are living it from a mother's perspective and from living with it, as Joseph is talking about. And so we share our story to inspire all of you to share your stories, and that's how we pay it forward. Because as you well know, if you've been following us, we went from... Non, non-verbal, not being able to answer yes or no questions and so forth to a person who is working for a local radio station, which is pretty awesome. And so what, what I've learned through this interview is that for you, the triggers of the unknowingness were huge in your childhood all the way up through now. That you have practiced, that you do practice mindfulness and found that to be beneficial in staying in the present. Try not to swim up the river, but go with the flow of the river. And that's a beautiful metaphor for what mindfulness can do for you. And if you're not familiar with mindfulness, maybe you try uh, some type of meditation that works for you. Really, it's all about taking very, very small steps. If all of this feels big to you, then try to break it down. And whether you're on the spectrum or a mother's guide or just anyone listening, beginning with your breath. Um, I've had kids use bubbles, you know, where you can get a big container of bubbles and let them just blow Big bubbles and that slows their breath down. So if they feel like they're upset, maybe getting that out and just starting with something very, very simple um, to introduce breathing techniques to to them. Really blowing bubbles for adults would be totally cool too because first of all, it's fun. And you do take those deep breaths, just saying. So I hope that this episode was beneficial for you and that you got something out of it to share and pay forward. And thank you, Joseph, for being a guest and sharing your insight of stress management in your life.
1: Thank you for having me again and allowing me to share that insight. You think I have?
0: (laughs) Well, I know you have. Thank you. (laughs) So thanks again. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review, and share it on social media. You can download my free guide, Five Things I Wish I Knew Raising My Son with Autism, by going to my website, bmvlifecoach.com. Also, please join our Facebook group, Mother's Guide Through Autism, for support. I'm sending you all hope and love. Thanks so much for listening.